a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a rock. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, we got to bring back the absolutely incredible Mel Schwartz. He, of course, was on earlier in the show's history with uh, his book, The Possibility Principle, which, of course, all the ways, guys, including that book, will be linked down in the show notes. Make sure that you check that out. Uh, He came back this time to talk to us about a Zoom Live that he's having on March 22nd. So I'm going to be linking all the ways to find him and his Instagram for sure. So all all y'all got to do is just go find the link and there you go. And definitely check out his March 22nd Zoom live course that he's working on because it's all about relationships. So he takes the possibility principles from the possibility principle and then applies them to relationships. And it's absolutely perfect. So on this episode, guys, we talk about how to embrace uncertainty. We talk about unrealistic and managing unrealistic expectations. Uh, Also about vulnerability, soulmates, and just a wealth of fantastic information concerning relationships. So Mel is the best, guys. Of course, again, all the ways to find him linked in the show notes. Check him out for sure. Now, if you would like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is going to be linked down in the show notes. Uh, for there, you've got Rockfin, merchandise, all the socials. It's kind of a hub for everything. So go check that out as well as sign up to become a expansive insider which is super cool that's our membership program we've got a lot of uh, premium content and stuff that we're starting to get up on there and so it's a really cool thing that you're definitely going to want to be a part of now uh, one more thing i want to mention is the affiliates that we work with so i uh, get your freedom from fear on with the food forest abundance link down in the show notes start your own it's amazing also if you want to start your own podcast do so with the link down there titled start your own podcast it's a libsyn who i host through i've partnered with them and their affiliate program as well so check that out one final thing and then we'll get to it amazon if you shop for anything on amazon i've got a link down there also that's an amazon affiliate link so if you're gonna go spend your money with them go ahead and do it through this link because it helps the show. Like, why the hell wouldn't you want to do that, right? And pass that link around to everybody. It helps the show. So uh, let's get to this incredible conversations with one of the coolest dudes ever. I'm so glad he came back. The always amazing Mel Schwartz. All right, everybody out there in the listening world, welcoming back to the show, we have the always incredible Mel Schwartz. Mel, how are you, dude? Uh, Today is a day like any other day. Try to be present, try to stay creative, and try to embrace some uncertainty, Brandon. I would say that you take the words try out of all of those examples and you're nailing it. Like you are doing those things, which is so cool. Your book, of course, The Possibility Principle will be linked as well as all of the other ways to find you down in the show notes, man. Uh, You have some new things to tell us about. So what have you been working on? I am really excited. I've been working on developing and making an offering, which will be coming uh, 
mid-March, March 22nd, I'm launching a live interactive Zoom course called Cultivating Intimate and Resilient Relationships. You know, in the past, we've talked about the possibility principle and quantum physics and some mind-blowing new ways of looking at things. And I've taken those quantum perspectives into my work on relationships. But relationship is the foundation and the core of my work. It's what brought me into this passion around psychotherapy, writing, podcasting. You know, Gregory Bates and the great social scientist said, everything must be defined by relationship, meaning nothing is independent of anything. And this is particularly true of human beings. So I'd like to move into and have a freewheeling discussion. I'd love for you, Brandon, to ask me some questions I've never been asked. I want, I want you to stymie me if you can. Um, and let's, let's move into relationships. The first book I ever wrote, I had just started graduate school and I wrote a book called The Art of Intimacy, The Pleasure of Passion. And my framework was that intimacy in relationship, the problem is that we look at it as though it's a rule book or a guideline about the six steps to this or that. That's other nonsense. A relationship should be an art form. And when it is, it can really thrive. My premise for that book was this. 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's not the problem. The problem is the majority of intact marriages or committed relationships, after a while, they're far from happy. That's a staggering rate of failure. Only a small percentage of intact relationship thrives. So if relationships were a corporation, they'd be bankrupt. We would never tolerate that in business. Why do we tolerate it in our relationships? And my answer to my own question is because we got no education. Imagine going to school and being taught Effective communication, embracing vulnerability, validating each other, getting past right or wrong. What a different experience we'd have. So that's what this piece of my work is devoted toward. And in this upcoming Zoom workshop, I'm so excited about it because people who don't have an opportunity to work with me, nor do I have an opportunity to work with them, they're there. There'll be hundreds of people. And we're going to have a lot of fun. I'll be teaching, I will be expediting, I will be innovating, and everybody will learn from everyone else. You know, I love this approach. And of course, uh, your work on relationships has to be paramount. Uh, your your book, the, the one that we had spoken about on the last show, uh, The Possibility Principle, one of my favorites of all time, by the way, uh, that one, uh, in my mind, kind of details a relationship with yourself and the universe. And so what's interesting now is that you're, you're building upon that, it seems, from, from just what you're saying here, that you're building upon that foundation to now take that out now that you've gotten your relationship with the world around you and you understand now that this is a participatory universe. Uh, then now you go out and in, embark on other relationships and apply that knowledge to all of your other interactions. Well said. And our relationship with someone else is a manifestation of my relationship with myself, your relationship with yourself, and the infinite amount of other relationships that informed in a participatory way who we are, what we believe, and how we think. So going back to the possibility principle for your listeners and viewers who 
may not be familiar with it, I explain there are two principles from quantum physics that if we apply into our lives, our relationship with ourselves and one another, we can really flourish. One is uncertainty. So let's take a look at that. Oscar Wilde, the great writer, wrote, uncertainty is the essence of romance. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You met, you think you're in love, is she in love with me? I don't know. Do I think more of her than she thinks of me? It's uncertainty. We don't finish each other's sentences. There's wonder and curiosity and passion and awe. What happens once we secure the relationship? We default into predictability. So if wonder is the essence of uncertainty, is the essence of romance, then predictability must be the death knell of romance. So passion doesn't have to die. And relationships don't have to stagnate when we embrace uncertainty. Now, by uncertainty, I mean, let's talk about sex. In a long-standing committed relationship to the sexual, romantic relationship, sex becomes formatted. It becomes predictable. You kind of know when you're going to have sex, where, same bedroom, how it's going to play out, what the positions you're going to assume are. When I work with couples, I'll, I'll mix it up. I'll, I'll say to the guy, listen, take your dinner out to wife. Take your wife out to dinner. That was an interesting slip. I was about to take say, you your, do that too, yeah. You take your wife out to dinner in an inn. And without her knowing it, book a room in the inn. But she doesn't know. And when you get up after dinner, just take her by the arm and walk over to her room and take the key out. Surprise and certainty is going to be of a lot more exciting and passionate than Saturday night sex in your bedroom once the kids are asleep. So uncertainty. Having curiosity. What do you think about that? How does that make you feel? Engaging in a vibrant, emergent way to keep a relationship alive. So uncertainty is a cape. I love the, the other. Oh, please, please. Go ahead, Brett. No, I, you go ahead. I, I was just wanting to say that I love this point of view because it's one thing that I follow a lot. And of course, it would apply to relationships. It's allowing the universe to surprise you, you know, allowing yourself to be surprised by the universe, by, by just everything that you do. There's new things out here. And it is very easy because it's such a it's so juxtapos juxtaposed that we humans are pattern seeking mammals that want routine. But it's necessary to explore outside of that routine, especially when it comes to things like relationships with yourself, with your partner, with anyone, to change it up a little bit and to keep it exciting. And this is how you participate in the universe and allow it to surprise you. And uncertainty does not mean risky behavior, mm -hmm. which people often confuse. I'm not suggesting risk or danger. Just coming out of the programmed formatting of your life, your thoughts, your beliefs, and your relationship with each other. When I work with couples, invariably, I find that there are vulnerable parts of each person that they haven't shared with each other. Could you imagine in a committed partnership or a marriage, spending your life with someone and hiding and just not disclosing some core piece of yourself out of fear of judgment. There's no fuel for the relationship. You see, vulnerability is emotional intimacy. It's the core of a relationship. But we hide from the vulnerable and we engage competitively, angrily, aggressively. 
but not in the vulnerable way. Vulnerability is the bedrock of intimacy and love. We have to embrace vulnerability. So the second principle from the possibility principle is the notion of inseparability. As you know, Brandon, very well, reality appears to be one inseparable whole, not interconnected, because the word connection implies a separation and you found a connection. No, we need to go further. One inseparable whole. Now, previously that was thought of as mysticism or tripping on LSD. Well, and as an aside, that's why hallucinogenics are doing such effective work with depression and other things because they are having us experience wholeness. Now, quantum physics revealed after many, many decades of a great thought debate between Einstein and, and Niels Bohr, that reality is inseparable. It's oneness. So let's look at relationship. We come together, there's a sense of oneness. It's us. We're falling in love. Think of a Venn diagram where the inner circle is shaded. That's the us. Over time, we drift back into individualism not oneness and wholeness. Inseparability requires a sense of oneness. You don't lose your individual self, but you're in two places. You're in the us and my individual. Now, when we do that, empathy, compassion, validating is the natural result. But when we separate out an individualism and it's you against me, we get into battles about right or wrong, we separate out, we operate under the illusion that we are separate and not part of the same team. So when we embrace oneness and inseparability, there's a sense of we. This comes up often when I might hear somebody say, you know, that's not my issue. That's my girlfriend's issue. And I might say, well, help me out with that. If your girlfriend has an issue that doesn't impact you, it's not her issue. It becomes our issue. If she has an issue, it impacts you. If you have an issue, it impacts her. So we have to find ways to navigate this. But the key, it's not just the conceptual or the theoretical. The heart of my work is creating a new framework for communication. That's what I do in my work, and that's what my passion is. We come out of speaking objective reality, like saying, you are filling the blank with negative, or I am. We drop the you and the I. We start with I. Here's how I feel when you speak to me that way. Now, suppose the other person says, refutes that, and repudiates it, and says, well, you're wrong. Stop. This is not about facts. Facts belong in a courtroom. Feelings belong in a relationship. So I'll say, do you care how I feel? Now, many people say to each other, I love you, but then they invalidate and disregard each other's feelings. That's not loving. Very important question to ask when you're getting stuck and feeling invalidated is pause. Ask the question, do you love me? Yes, I do love you. Well, if you love me, you should care how I feel, shouldn't you? Imagine how different the world would be if we operated that way, instead of objective arguments and right and wrong. 
Well, this now that you're applying it to relationships is perfect because this is one of the main themes uh, that I picked up from the possibility principle. Again, one of my favorite books linked in the show notes, guys, make sure that you check this thing out. Uh, one of the interesting parts about this, though, is whenever you talk about communication and relationships, and I want to come back to vulnerability on this point, is that that's, that's one of the trickiest things. Because what you're asked to do as an individual, um, this, this also has a lot to do with how you feel about yourself. You know, I've followed two core things. It, it, you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. And it's not how you feel about the other person. It's how they feel about they make you feel about yourself. So this is very, very important. It all comes back to what you're talking about. Now back to vulnerability. So this is one of the things that's very, very interesting to be just fully open and vulnerable is a very challenging thing in depending on which vibration you're in. So we, we've talked a lot about on the show these different vibrational states, and we talk about Dolores Cannon's work with the 3D, 5D, 4D, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so something I've been just kind of applying to this is all of these other principles. Uh, the uh, quantum physics, uh, for instance, you know, the, the thing that Niels Bohr got Einstein so twisted about, about the quantum entanglement and uh, spooky action at a distance and all of that, that is something that I find absolutely fascinating and applies to your work, which I want to come back to. But with the vulnerability part of it, it seems that, again, depending on your vibrational state, because some people in, let's say, the 3D uh, world in Dolores Cannon's uh, terminology here, it's viewed as more of a lower vibrational state, meaning that you really can't see higher concepts from that perception. So a lot of it, I think, uh, is that you change yourself and then the outside world mirrors back to you, back to the quantum physics thing. And so whenever you really work on yourself and you say, well, what do I want out of a great person? And am I being as lovable as I can be? Am I showing up as most me as I can? And if the answer to that is no, then that's, I think, where you start. What do you think about that? I'm going to pivot with that last question and prompt this. If I think I am showing up as lovable, what's more important is, are you experiencing me as lovable? Otherwise, I may be operating out of my own delusion. This is a great point. Uh, so, so that's what matters. How are you experiencing me? And that goes back to uncertainty. Embrace the uncertainty and don't assume. Inquire, curiosity, wonder, how are you experiencing me? What do I need to know about myself that I can't see, but that you see in me? That's a quantum entanglement. And that's intimacy into me, I see, right? Uh, so with the vulnerability part of it and why I think that perhaps may be challenging for some folks to be 100% open and vulnerable is, is that some of those things can be weaponized against them. So I think that a lot of people want to manage expectations when it comes to things that can be launched back in their way in, in a negative way. Uh, I think that that is the core, but this goes back to exactly what you're saying about education. So there's a lot of unpacking to do with educational purposes of rewriting how we view relationships, which is it sounds fantastic that that's what you're doing. So apropos what you just said, Brandon, if your self-esteem is worthy and authentic, then there is no risk in vulnerability. I would then say in that circumstance, it cannot be weaponized. I may be disappointed in the result, but I'm not operating from fear of judgment about what someone else thinks. And if I'm in a relationship with someone who is going to take my vulnerable sharing and use it aggressively against me, then I might reconsider that relationship because what's their intention? But I lean into the accusation. Like if somebody said to me, 
you know, you're, you're so weak. If, suppose I said, that really hurt my feelings. I need to tell you that. Suppose the answer was aggressive. You're so weak. I'd lean in and say, I'm sorry, you see it as weak. I see it as genuine and authentic, and I'm not ashamed of it. Now, in that case, nobody can weaponize anything against me because I'm secure and authentic with myself. That In that example, that is a very not weak response, which proves your point, but also shows that there was a line that was crossed or a boundary that was violated of yours personally. And that's a beautiful way to articulate it, man. And this comes back to what I'm saying about working on yourself, because if you have low self-esteem and you're looking for someone else to fulfill that confidence lack in you, that's a self-problem. And that's that's where you're going to now run into these challenges of, you know, not being able to be fully vulnerable and all of those things. So it it seems like, again, it, it kind of, in this instance specifically, I, I take it back to yourself, you, you know, work on your self-esteem, but this can be achieved in a wonderful partnership. Let's say you walk into a new relationship, for instance, and you don't have the kind of self-esteem that you want. Well, a good partner will build you up to the point where you have so much confidence. You need to do a, a mushroom trip to mitigate your ego for a little bit. Uh, you're that on cloud nine based on the relationship that you've got and that is reciprocated back to you in a way that just bolsters you. And it's unbelievable. And it, that's ideally, you know, uh, one of the results that can be achieved with a wonderful relationship. Uh, but Walking into it with that low self-esteem, thinking that that other person is going to fulfill it and then falling short, that, that's a spiral for disaster. So that speaks directly to a heart of the matter. My estimation, based upon how I evaluate the word self-esteem, is very few people have authentic self-esteem. That's rare. But let's say on average, most people have somewhat marginal self-esteem. That's why the world is in the shape it's in. Now, take those two people and put them together in a relationship. What's the likely outcome of that relationship? And you, the, there used to be an expression, I don't hear it as much anymore, my other half. Wow, I wouldn't want another half. I want to feel like I'm moving toward wholeness. And I select another person moving toward wholeness and we enhance each other. But if I need someone to complete me, because I'm a half, and they're a half, boy, we're in trouble. How's that going to work out? So my other half speaks so loudly to the issue. There's a sense of completion. When I was a younger man, I married a woman because I thought of myself as a half. And I saw her and her opposition, her opposite qualities of mine. I was very shy and introverted when I was young. She was outgoing and bubbly and sociable. That tricked me into thinking I was in love with her. After 13 years of marriage, I had grown and evolved. I was no longer shy in any way and realized that this was not working. But I thought about it and I said, you know, she's exactly the same woman I met and thought I was in love with. She didn't change. So I have no reason to be angry with her. I changed. And who was I back then? that I thought she was right for me. I was a half looking to be okay. Sadly, such a significant amount of people operate that way. And it's because we don't pursue authentic self-esteem. We're not taught. Again, no education. Likely didn't get it from our parents, sadly. 
And so, of course, all that debris falls out into a relationship. But the good news for anyone listening to something, oh, boy, what am I going to do with all that? Is there are very concise, simple ways to turn your relationship and your communication around. So I'd like to share a few of those with you, Brandon, if I can recall them all now. The first is what I call shared meaning. We use words and expressions with each other and operate from the assumption that we're on the same page and the word means the same thing. Now, I know this when I do couples counseling, I pick it up and I realize they're arguing about something and then I even think the same thing. First time that happened, couples in an argument and she says to her husband, you have no idea of how to be intimate. And he says, I have no idea. Are you kidding? I'm very intimate. And they go on. I said, time out, guys. I think you're talking about different things. What do you each mean by intimate? Not surprisingly, she was referring to emotional intimacy. He was referring to sexual intimacy. So shared meaning. Anytime you're in a discussion or an argument or a conflict, you slow down the pace by asking, you know, I don't really feel like you respect me. First reaction is no reaction, but lean in and say, okay, I, I don't see that, but help me understand what do you mean by respect? How do I get in your shoes and empathize with you and understand how you experience me? Shared meaning. It's respectful. It slows down the debate and it can move us into dialogue. Beyond that, we want to move into getting past the right versus wrong battle. When I ask, would you rather be right? Would you rather be happy? Everyone says right, but the battle ensues, right? Now, I won't go into it now, but I work in detail in the possibility principle in illuminating this need to be right and where it comes from. It's absolutely ruinous to a relationship because if I have to be right, that means you have to be wrong. Now, how's that going to work out? It can't. It's ruinous. Another technique is something I call the 5% rule. When you're in a disagreement, your instinct is to argue and refute and repudiate what's coming at you that you don't agree with. It goes nowhere. My 5% rule is, and I just picked the number 5% arbitrarily. Find some small piece of what you're hearing that you can agree with. 5%. Now, take the 95% rebuttal and put it up on the shelf for the moment. Take the 5% and validate the other person. Now, they feel surprisingly heard and validated, which means they're now open to hearing you. We shift the energy. So, so we want to fight the instinct to be right to do battle, to prove ourselves, it's counterintuitive. Lean in and find something you're being accused of that you can concur with, then they feel validated. Another piece, which I did a TEDx talk on, is called word hacking. Eight words that disrupt our relationships. And these words are the to be verbs. Is, am, be, are, was. These verbs are unique in that they are all inert. They show no movement. So in a relationship, when we use to be verbs, we're making objective statements, which are unfeeling, lacking in compassion. Again, you are, 
I am. There's no expression of feeling in there. They're objective statements of fact. They will destroy communication and a relationship. So that's another piece. Listeners can find this in my book, The Possibility Principle, or the TEDx talk. Of course, I'll be going into it in my Zoom course on relationship. These techniques and communication breakthroughs, you can access immediately while you're working on growing your self-esteem and your authenticity. So we don't need to wait and say, well, that's going to take years for me to grow spiritually, psychologically. You can make these shifts immediately if you choose to. And I remember in your book, you had an entire chapter that you specifically dedicated to not using to be verbs. And you wrote the entire chapter. And then at the end of it, you said, hey, I wrote this whole chapter without using them. So here's how it goes. It was a great recall, Brandon. (laughs) Well, it was an awesome book. Like I said, still one of my favorites. Um, And thank you. Um, So one of the interesting things I find about this as well is, man, this idea of you and your partner being in a space to where you can teach each other things. So I'll give you an example. So one of them is uh, from a male-female perspective, because that's what I can offer, and really just a male perspective, but in my relationship with my wife, uh, one of the things I discovered years ago, thanks to her, was her articulating that whenever she was having a bad day or something was going wrong or whatever, she was really upset, our inclination as a man, mine was to fix it and to offer solutions and to just like, oh, we just look at it this way and it's over, right? It wasn't done out of malice. And a lot of guys do this. And I know you know what I'm talking about. You've probably heard it a thousand times. A lot of guys do this and we don't do it out of malice. We do it out of a sense of offering what we can. This is what we come here for. We're like, okay, well, we're problem solvers. We're going to offer solutions. And here's how you can air quotes, move on in our mind. But what my beautiful, wonderful wife uh, enlightened me to the idea of is just that she doesn't want solutions. She just wants somebody to sit there and listen and say, that sucks. And this is one of the things that blew my mind. Like she didn't want solutions. It's like, hang on, you feel this way, but you don't want to feel better. But ironically, what makes me feel better in a situation, which is solving it or you know, formulating a plan and moving forward with action, it's different for women and especially for my wife. Again, I'm not going to generalize. I'll just speak in those terms. But um, for them, the, what makes them feel better is being heard, being validated, allowing to express the feelings that they feel, and then having someone, uh, I think the term is hold space for them, uh, to be able to do that. So this, you're, you're correcting your assumption. Virtually not a day goes by when I'm not witnessing this and treating it in counseling. And sometimes it breaks the gender rules and crosses boundaries, and you see it in reverse. But one need not preclude the other, meaning the emotional validation and the suggestion. So here's what I propose for anyone in the masculine energy, whether they're guys or women. First, this expression I came up with many years ago, first validate, then educate. So you tune into the feeling. And by the way, validating isn't simply, that must be awful. To be authentic requires asking questions to get in their shoes. What is it like to be them? Then after you have validated, if you in your mind have a suggestion or advice, Mr. Fix-It, well, what you do is you can then pivot and say, by the way, if you like, I have some thoughts about that. If you're interested, let me know. You offer an invitation, okay? You don't jump in and fix it. Validate, 
try to understand what's going on, get in their shoes. And if you have thoughts, you just throw it out there. And I have some thoughts about it, So if you ever want to hear them, just let me know. In that moment, she might say, no, tell me, because now she's validated. You care how she feels. Remember the question I prompted before. Do you care how I feel? That's where it's coming up again, right there, Brandon. Do you care how I feel? That's why you're the best. And of course, in your practice, you were a marriage counselor. So this is uh, fascinating. Um, of course, you'd have wonderful insight into this. So I love this. Um, I wanted to ask what you think about soulmates. Do you think that you're destined for one person forever or that the concept is even practical? There was a moment when I had a bit of an epiphany around these questions. First, initially, I very much believed in soulmate and soulmates will attract. And could there be more than one soulmate in your life? Well, if you theoretically say, why not? Um, and from reincarnational theory, that would make sense because you've had relationships with infinite numbers of souls in the past. But then I had another thought. This occurred to me when I was in graduate school. Now, I went to graduate school at the age of 40 or 41. And I was taking a course in transpersonal psychology, which would touch into Eastern perspectives and spiritual perspectives. And the professor was talking about the concept of soulmates. And I had a light bulb go off. And I, I shared it. I raised my hand. And I said, I just had a thought. If you believe in soul, and if you believe in reincarnation, what if your soul incarnated into more than one body? What if to expedite the experience as a human being, your soul incarnated into two, three, or four bodies? And the soulmate experience was this soulmate is you're actually meeting another part of yourself. And I'll never forget the response of the professor, who again was non-traditional, was very steeped in Eastern approaches. Seconds and seconds and seconds went by. He stood there. He said nothing. And he was frozen. I looked around the class and everyone was like, what's going on? And eventually, I had to interrupt his reverie. I said, are you okay? Did you hear what I asked? And he just muttered something. I waited for the class to end and I went out to lunch with him. I said, could you tell me what happened? And it's just the thought just took him somewhere else into a deep reverie. So I realize that my wisdom is in realizing what I don't know. And so my, so my answer to your question is, of course, I think all things are possible, but that would make sense to me. More than one soulmate, certainly. Yes. Almost like, you know, you think you have your soulmate. Maybe it's... Uh... Maybe it's just not accurate. Maybe your assessment of soulmates, whenever you call someone else this in the throes of, let's say, NRE or new relationship energy, you know, you're real excited. Things are awesome. Ah, you're my soulmate. You know, these are, these are terms like love that, that people can toss around and get delusion, delusional by. But it, it seems that perhaps maybe they were onto something and maybe that, that what resonated with them was a feeling of that this person, perhaps another part of themselves. And if you look at it cosmically, zoom out far enough. Uh, even from quantum physics, we're all the same thing, you know, essentially. Uh, and so this is another part of you, but it's a necessary part of you on this particular journey that you chose to have here at this time. And so this person has something to offer you. It's a gift, but it's a temporary gift. It, 
it's a temporary interaction that will be a gift for a lifetime because it's necessary for you to have this experience. I even think the people that break your heart are soulmates. I think that's part of it. It's part of kind of an ego structure that's here, along with everything else. It's kind of a training. Well, arguably, your heart couldn't be broken if you didn't have a soul connection that ran deep enough. Otherwise, it wouldn't break your heart, would it? That's a great point. And and yeah, it it feels like those feels though that that depth of of feeling, you know, especially as a young person, you know, you, you embark upon this, you hold hands with someone for the first time, you smooch on the playground or whatever. It it those feelings and they make massive impacts on you, and they kind of you know stair step you into everything that you're going through and that you will be presented later on. You you filter future relationships sometimes, even through the earliest of relationships that you've ever had. Uh, it it also seems like. That because it's so impactful and because it's so necessary to experience that even dysfunctional relationships of the parents of the partner that you're courting, even at a young age, will affect their behavior in a way that then affects your interaction, even as a young person. And then that affects everything, even your future kids down the line. So this so is that so important. That we have inseparability. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's just so important to come to terms with this, people, uh, and to really, again, I, you can't love anyone else until you love yourself. So focus on that. I would say that for sure. Um, but also, what what are just some great advice that you can give for a single person looking to attract their perfect soulmate? Okay, so recently, my marketing people have gotten me into social media, and the platform we really focused on was Instagram. So I put up 30 and 40 second videos virtually every day. Um, Schwartz 7 is my Instagram handle. And the reason I'm bringing this up is recently I posted a video, which was what happens when we don't pay attention to red flags? Because I see this often. If you're in a relationship that's taking off, there's a red flag. You don't want to pay attention to it because it may detour you. So I call them, I say, we should really call them yellow flags. Yellow flag means we should pause and ask questions and investigate and come to know each other deeper and more intimately. Right? A yellow flag's okay. It'll either turn green, it'll remain yellow, or it'll go red like a traffic light. But The warning piece is so often when I hear after the fact, after 10, 20, 30 years of relationship, I should have paid attention to the red flags. No, you should have gone in and shared how you were feeling about them. And the two of you could have transcended what the problem was and each of you learned. So that is part and parcel though of the idea of my other half if you're so hell-bent on securing a relationship to make yourself feel okay then you will tend to ignore the red flags won't you yeah and especially like flags i I love the way you put it as yellow flags because yes perhaps and that you know we talk about this as well triggers or things that jump out at you and jar you a little bit are things that you should pay attention to and sometimes run towards sometimes there are lessons that you need to learn that you were calling toward yourself about something about yourself that you wanted to participate in and experience so it could be one of those things and if you take it past the 
you know, stop what your girlfriends are saying and, and run, girl, you know, or, um, you know, my mom would never like this because you have a tattoo. You know, things like that, even simple mental barriers uh, that you can get over to then approach this in a new way. And these same things impact us in parenting. When I work with a couple and they have different parenting philosophies, what that is simply is they were raised themselves in two different ways. Okay, that's not surprising. And you either parent a child the way you were parented, or you go to the other extreme as a coping mechanism because you didn't like the way you were parented. So when a couple begins a relationship, it's so important to share expectations. Here's what happens. You meet, you fall in love, you're off to the races. You get married, you do wedding vows, which are not going to work out because we're not doing the real work. So shared expectations and sitting down, sharing with each other, do we want to have children? How many children? How, how will we raise them? What are our philosophies? How important is affluence to us? How important are vacations? When you don't share expectations, I equate that to a railroad track. As long as the tracks on the railroad are parallel, the train will run. In this case, the train is the relationship. But when expectations aren't shared and they are not in concert, the train will derail because the tracks aren't running parallel. So, so many fights, really, at the heart? Well, we just had different expectations. We never talked about it. Instead of discussing that, we're breaking down into who's right and who's wrong. No. You just never shared your different philosophies and expectations around life, relationship, work, children. Do do you think that relationships have to be hard work? Excellent question. Um, My intellectual mind at the moment tells me I couldn't say that they have to be because one exception means they don't have to be. Right. Right. So, as you know, all generalizations are false. Um, I would say it is the great exception that the relationship doesn't present challenges and sometimes crises. But if we look at those crises and challenges as enormous learning opportunities, because in all relationships that from my perspective that I work with, The crisis and the challenge is an opportunity for each individual's growth, whether you remain together or not. So I say relationships present the opportunity for struggle, hard work, emergence, illumination, and growth. But we have to come out of our comfort zone, which we tend to resist, other than maybe working out. See, on a physical level, people are happy to endure discomfort. Get in shape, look good, build some muscle. If only we would do that on an emotional level and a relationship level. Because in our comfort zone, in our familiar zone, we're stuck. We're not going to grow. So I guess my answer to your question is those challenges and struggles are opportunities. And without them, where are we going to go? Completely agree. I've just heard so many people say, ah, relationships are hard work. 
I, maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, again, mine and my wife's were, was for a while, I guess, but um, just normal growing pains type things. But now it's gotten to a place where it seems so easy, meaning that we just love and respect each other so much. We've both done a lot of inner work on ourselves that have changed the outside that like our partners change. This is again, why I kind of come back to that concept. And I was really interested in asking you about the quantum entanglement thing and how that reflects in whenever so, of course, the spooky action at a distance that we talked about earlier, uh, the quantum entanglement, which you're very familiar with, I'm mainly going over this for the audience, uh, which is where that one particle, when you affect the spin of one particle, it affects the other instantaneously. Uh, it doesn't matter distance, so the speed of light has nothing to do with it. Um, this actually proves that the speed of light is not the speed limit um, in the universe or something a lot faster, which is instantaneous. So, what I have just discovered in my own life. Is, is that whenever I changed me, whenever I started working out, eating healthier, uh, reading, doing better things for myself, uh, focusing my attention more on uh, being outside, uh, make sure I'm a good steward of our land here, um, all of these things and really working on inner stuff with me, my wife instantly changed. It was a woke up one morning and we were on the same page damn near automatically. And so this is why I feel that there's something very you know, measurably scientific going on here to where if quantum entanglement is a thing, which we know is, then perhaps let's say even at a core level, when you affect you, someone you're tied to or connected to is affected in a positive way as well. Now, in the example of the spins, you affect one that affects at the opposite direction, which is an interesting thing to note because some people will for lack of a better term, get their, get their shit together, start working out, you know, want to improve themselves and their partner does not. And that just takes them in a completely opposite road and drives a huge wedge in between them, which is again, back to this vibratory element of it. it it's one of the things that I have thought a lot about since I uh, read conversations with God with Neil Donald Walsh. And one of the points that he makes in there, which is a great one, which I think has to do with all of divorce rates is, is that you never know how you're going to feel on any given tomorrow. So what's so important about that fact is that, yeah, that's true. My food taste may change. My color preference may change. I may want to have dreadlocks, but if your partner changes with you or grows with you and is allowing that to be a free space for both of you to move forward in any kind of exploration that you want to do together, that's where it's at. So your premise, which I agree with completely, is one, if I want my partner to change in any way, not to be stagnant, I need to change. Yes. Instead of telling them what they need to do. If I change, then they are changed because they're in a relationship with me. We can't predict the outcome of that change. That's unknowable. So it's be the change yourself. And then you're setting the opportunity for the other to change. But again, will you evolve and grow together? Unknown. We have to embrace the uncertainty and see how that works out. You know, Margaret Mead, the great anthropologist, said she was married to three great men, each of whom suited her through a different passage of her life. She didn't look at divorce as failure or conflict. Life hopefully is long, and she went through different passages an enlightened attitude about divorce, about separating, about concluding a relationship. Why does this have to be burdened with conflict and blame? Life hopefully is long. We go through different passages. But if you're seeking change in the relationship, change yourself. 
your own growth authentically and then cross the fingers and see what happens and it often comes up when in my couple's work when they're each requiring change of each other and say okay so what if you change this aspect of yourself which arguably would enable your partner to change that aspect important question to always ask in a relationship is would you like to be the person i'm asking you to be because we're telling each other what you need to change more fundamentally how do you feel about that is that change you would like for yourself i want to know what the prospects look like and the outcomes look like let's get to the heart of the matter and then if disappointingly you hear no i have no desire to be like that well let's try to understand why let's take a look at it maybe i'll change my thinking you'll change your thinking or not but it has a dynamic quality we're coming out of stagnation and as you describe your marriage brandon that's what you're referring to choosing not to stagnate and get stuck in routine yeah and to yell at her for doing something that i'm not doing or you know an expectation that i haven't vocalized you know they're they're interesting you know mental gymnastics that people go through well how could he not or how could she not you know but it's this interesting thing it's almost like that parable about the monkey where they put an apple in a tree in a, in mm-hmm. a hole in a tree and then the monkey goes over and grabs it and they trap the monkey. Well, all the monkey had to do was let go of the apple and it could have escaped to freedom. It, it's like this with these hard line hills that people die on the craziest stuff. Did you put the thing back in the fridge? No, I did. Well, it's not there. And all the, like these crazy hills that people die on. And it, it just takes a moment, right? Like you said, it, it I agree completely. Just take the breath. It, Take the pause. And and understand why it's so important. Yes. Yes. Maybe you were scolded or punished as a child for not putting the apple in the fridge. And you're mindlessly replicating the same thing. And a lot of times, I'm sure you've you've noticed this, it's not about the apple, right? It's a bigger thing. It has to do with respect. What I think is respected is respectful. What I think is being valued or being devalued. But we attach these concepts to trivial stuff that is meaningless. And instead, we don't ask each other the questions which really usher in conversations and dialogues about value and respect. What do you need to feel valued by me? Certainly, it's not about the apple in the refrigerator, is it? Yeah. And there's uh, just another quick thing, I guess, that my wife and I have come to at least some, um, we can, we can hold each other to a different standard. So what I mean by this is, is let's say that I know something's bothering her, but she doesn't necessarily vocalize it right out. I will say, is everything okay? And she'll say, yeah, I'm fine. Real short, you know, obviously not. Right. But I will then say, where'd you go? And just pause and wait. And then she's like, I'm right here. Like, where'd you go? And then that is code for us to go, look, you're, you're not acting like you normally are. I'm just in a place of concern. If you want to be left alone, I'll leave you alone. But I just want to notice that you look like you're in a funk. You look like you wanted some attention from, from your lover. And uh, can I offer anything? And then usually it's the, it's the best decompressor we have. And we both do it for each other. I'll get caught in my head too much. Just say, where'd you go? I'm right here. Where'd you go? And that second one, it's that second calmer one that really rings us out of whatever's distracting us from being ourselves. And it's a great way that her and I kind of can openly communicate about things. It's a great technique, great strategy. 
If you chose, you could go further with it. You can offer an invitation, which is ask her how she would feel if instead of waiting for one or two prompts from you, she felt comfortable enough just to open up and share it to start the engagement. So, so you don't have to have a query, you know, where'd you go? The, the fact that you have that and she responds to it's wonderful. But I would, I would offer the invitation. Would you like to be able to just open up and tell me what's on your mind and troubling you without my asking? Again, that goes back to, would you like to be the person I'm asking you to be? Yeah. And you know what's so nice, too, is now we're both to the point to where we'll just say, hey, I'm in a rough spot or I'm in my head too much right now. Just give me a few minutes or like right when you get home. Hey, let me decompress for a minute. I'll be right with you. And we both respect that. It's awesome. I'm telling you, it's not perfect. But it sounds, it sounds like you're both, doing gr- you're both doing great. <laughs> I think we're doing okay. Um, no, you do great. So I also uh, wanted to ask you about um, what you think is the biggest stigma that when people go into relationships expecting something, uh, that's not realistic and practical? Well, it's a question I've never been asked. Um, I, I, I think that the expectations may be valid. It's, it's almost akin to, I want to graduate high school with a furrow and be valedictorian and get into Harvard and Harvard Law School, but I'm not prepared to study very hard. So whatever those great expectations are in relationship, which typically we all fall from grace from, it's are we doing the work required to reach it? So my answer in a way is not answering your question. It's the stigma is in that we think it should be effortless and easy. And that's faulty thinking. So it's simple, but it's not easy. I know exactly what you mean. And it is going in with those expectations, any actually, uh, that they're going to fulfill you, that there's a void that you're missing, that this person is going to just fill completely. Yeah, that's right. It, it's an interesting correlation also between, um, and God, I mean, and you know this, when you throw kids in the mix, it's completely different. So how much of a role do you think that kids play in the failing of a relationship enormous but i'm going to say the target is the kids the attention is about the kids but again i I bring it back to expect not having shared expectations if we have differing parenting philosophies and we didn't get on board to start with and see if there was a convergence and how we would handle differing philosophies, then the fault lies within our parenting, not within the kids. Kids, just like relationships, present challenges and opportunities. And so it would be in another entire interview to move into where the parents fall short. But the simple takeaway right now, just to pique some interest, is parents fall short by not sharing enough of their own vulnerability and their own personal narrative with their kids. When I end up working with adolescents and teenagers, I'm doing so for one simple reason. Their parents didn't share anything with them. So actually, I'm not a therapist. I'm a mentor. And I may ask a question like, 
oh, your mom got was married and got divorced before before he, she married your dad. Uh huh. Did she ever tell you what happened? Why she get divorced? No. Are you curious? I never thought about it. And this is a fifteen or a sixteen year old. There has to be emotional intimacy. And parents get focused on discipline and achievement. And we're not really having emotionally intelligent relationships with kids. We shouldn't tell them what to do. We need to model it. We need to model validation, compassion, curiosity, vulnerability as a strength, not as a weakness, and tell our own narratives and stories about our own life's challenges. Because when they go through challenges, they have a reference point. Mom went through it. Dad went through it. No big deal. They're okay. But when you don't share that and you hide that, you set your kids up for this dysfunction that they think there's something wrong with them for just being human and having fear and stress and anxiety. Brilliantly said. Brilliantly said. I, I'm curious about, uh, do you think that now or at some point in the past has been either the easiest or hardest time to be in a relationship? Both. I always resist either or questions. I know. They, they, they create compartments, right? <laughs> and so I'll say it's the easiest and or the hardest. I knew this about you, which is why I asked that. Um, okay, well then let me ask this. In what ways is the relationships easier now? Well, the pandemic has provided opportunities for most people, always some exceptions, but for most people, it's provided so much more ample time together. And we weren't ships passing in the night. At the same time, that created conflict. The conflict creates opportunity. So there's, there's been opportunity pace of life to slow down opportunity. With that, often conflict. What are we doing with the conflict? What's the learning opportunity? Um, but in some ways, I think it, it may be more challenging now because of the advance in technology and, you know, the blocked intimacy. Couples out to dinner and they're each on their cell phones instead of talking to each other. Um, that's a problem. Yeah, and then when uh, restaurants offer discounts, if you lock your phone in a cage for the meal, like the restaurant will take a hit financially for you just to be a family for an evening. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, look, there's bigger change coming at us with virtual reality, and we'll see, we'll see where that brings us. But cha change is happening. That's for damn sure. It's just an interesting, interesting time to be alive. And so I would agree with you. I would say now this is one of the easier times um, because if you are a solid couple, you've got a lot of stuff uh, that you are doing together to strengthen each other and to help each other grow, which is true for any time period, but especially now. But I agree with you that it's so difficult and dense as far as embarking on especially relationships that are hard work, for the example of hard work relationships, is because now it's so dense for the same reasons. You know what I mean? Now is why you want someone ride or die on your side, uh, but also you know, that it's harder than ever. Brandon, when you turn out it's such hard work or it's going to be hard, thought that went through my mind is, was it easy to learn how to read? Was it easy to learn how to do math and algebra and trigonometry? No. But we did it. It was required. 
The problem again is there's no requirement in education in intimacy, communication, and relationships. That's where we need to reprioritize life. Could not agree more. And it seems like a lot of people view relationships, and especially unfortunately marriages, as disposable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do live in a disposable culture, and you're quite right. Well, uh, brother man, we're going to wrap it up here. You, you're amazing as always. I always enjoy talking to you, Mel. So please don't be a stranger. We have to do this again. So of course, I'm going to be linking your uh, live Zoom on March 22nd. I'm very excited about that. And uh, all the ways, of course, to find you, my friend. Um, thank you again so much for your time, dude. This is wonderful. My pleasure. Be well. Enjoy yourself. Always delightful to talk to Mel. He is such a cool dude and just a wealth of information and knowledge. Uh, big fan of that dude personally. Like I said, his book, uh, The Possibility Principle, is easily one of my favorites, and that's how him and I connected. So I'm so grateful uh, that he came back and then he's moving forward with his new course on relationships, which, of course, guys, again, will be his Zoom course on March 22nd. All the ways, of course, to find that will be linked down in the show notes. Check that out, Bo Show. And, uh, of, of course, his books, guys. I mean, even The Art of Intimacy, his first book, fantastic that he referenced in there as well. Check them all out. He's a wonderful author and a really, really cool dude. So um, if you would like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's going to be where all of the socials are found, uh, Rockfin from premium content, and then merchandise as well. And then, of course, check out our affiliate links with Food Forest Abundance, Get Your Freedom From Fear On, the Libsyn link if you want to start your own podcast. And, of course, if you're going to buy any goddamn thing on Amazon, use my link. I mean, why the hell not? It helps the show. So uh, go out into this beautiful place. You know, Look at your relationships. Evaluate your relationship with yourself. All of these things are very crucial. And while you're doing that... Snag a piece of litter off the ground. Doesn't need to be there anyway, right? Buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or something very simple. Send those positive ripple waves out through the collective. Uh, also, just be nice to everybody that you come across. Hold doors open. Smile at people. It's not a big thing. It makes a massive deal. Then imposition on you, it makes a massive deal to the collective, right? So uh, also, while you're doing all that great high vibe and stuff and you're just crushing it at life in general, you might as well get out of the left-hand lane if you got somebody behind you wanting to pass there. That's an awesome thing to do. So above all and anything else, guys, go out into this beautiful place, whatever the hell it is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.